take a seat with us here on the Front Porch Podcast. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Front Porch Podcast live recording here on twitch.tv slash worldwide underscore wimpy. And as always here on the Front Porch, we have uh, my wonderful friend Fred Eater joining us today on our conversation topics. Good afternoon. I'm glad to see everybody. Hey, Wimp, how's it going? Uh, going pretty good. Uh, you know, technical issues, there's always something popping up that's not working the way it's supposed to. Yes. But we're yeah. going to steamroll through this because I always have a backup plan. This is which good. Which is the biggest is thing. I just uploaded the last episode, uh, which is part one of a two-part conversation, but I just uploaded that and I'm not entirely sure that it worked. So after we're done with this, I'm going to have to go back over and... Uh, because it has more than one segment. Because I also have listener... Uh, uh, we have our first listener voice messages on there. Um, I'm not sure whether that's working, so we're going to find out. But anyway, please check out episode... What is it? 24 that we just uploaded. I think this will be 25. So... Awfully glad everyone is here. Wimpy, where can they find us if they want to find us elsewhere? Well, you can email us at frontporchpodcast1 at gmail.com with any response to any topics we discuss or something you wish for us to discuss. I'll have it on that email list. Uh, we're on Twitter at Podcast Front. You can put in 280 characters of fast typing responses there if you want to let us know real quick and hot. Uh the other options are on Facebook, Front Porch Podcast uh, fan webpage on Facebook. Uh, you can type in as much as you want there and see us respond to it on that. Uh, we're also on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Front Porch Podcast. Uh, you can donate to us. That would be very much appreciated. We're also here on Twitch if you're joining us live, which is also very, uh, we're very thankful for. That's going to be probably our best way to be in contact with people to see what everyone's thinking, what everyone's doing. Uh, just let us know in our live chat. We'll get live responses from people right then and there. Yeah. Uh, so there was a couple of pieces of news uh, that came up since the last time we were able to chat. Of course, there was the impeachment vote, which was his own circus. But I want to kind of leave that alone because it's been covered by thousands of others. Yes. Yeah. And what that's destined to be, we kind of already know. Um, so I, I don't want to touch that just yet, but I did read an interesting article on the Chicago Tribune website, and it talks about the Illinois law, which allows teachers and social workers and administrators at public schools to use restraint techniques to, as a form of punishment for, for belligerent children. And now, let's reading, be clear. Oh, it's a form of punishment, or is it a form of getting them to, uh, uh keeping them safe, keeping them from hurting themselves or others. Those are very different things. It's, so I want it's to be both. Okay. I think it's both. Um, yeah, because I glanced at the article, and I, I, didn't, I didn't see anything that said that it was... I understand that they you know, will use it sometimes. There is a legitimate use. We'll start with that. If a child is presenting a danger to himself or herself or others... Um, sometimes we need to stop them. Um, and obviously, you're not going to shoot them. I'd really rather that you not hit them with poison gas or, or anything, you know, don't, don't tase them. And there are restraint methods, techniques that can be used that can keep a child 
from hurting anyone, um, but that are minimally uh, damaging to the kids. Um, and there is training available in that. Um, now, that, I have no objection. Um, do you object to, to that somehow? Well, when it comes to child behavior outside of your far extremes, most of it, when a child's acting belligerent or, or disruptive in a way, there's usually a, a disconnect in the adults in that child's life. Mm-hmm. And this could be parents, this can be teachers, this could be just about anyone that's supposed to be an authoritarian figure in their life. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about children who are dangerous to other children, well, mm-hmm. you know, unless they are bringing that gun to school, I don't think another kid's going to kill another kid. They might hurt, physically hurt them, but it's yes. like, to, to me, in dealing with the children that I've dealt with in my life, physical mm-hmm. abuse is one of those things outside of, you know, the sexual abuse or anything like that. Right. Is, is usually one of the things that is, especially when it's between kids, they look at it differently. So, this is a very fine line. Okay. And when you're discussing punishment or, or trying to calm a child down, mm-hmm. you have to think about the child's shoes. Okay? You have to be in their shoes, mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. of all. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can't say, I don't like this child being disruptive. We need to settle them down. So we're going to force them into a certain position to calm them down. It doesn't work that way. I would, um, I would. So it's it's one of those things. What are you doing to engage the child first as the adult? Because that that's yes. the key. Who who is in charge of this it, this situation? When you when you get so desperate that you have to restrain <clears throat> a child down to calm them down. That means the mm-hmm. child is in control of that situation, not the adult, to me. It, that's how it speaks to me. Okay. So, now, let, let me give you some examples from my uh, three decades of, of dealing with kids. Um, and I'm making up a name for a student I have. We'll call him Darren. That's not his real name. And But this was an actual student with whom I interacted. And this kid presented me with some pretty difficult ethical problems um, that I finally insisted that my principal was going to handle because I wasn't. Um, Darren might very well have been physically assaulting another child, okay? Um, There was uh, an incident in which Darren had his hands around another child's neck, and he was, in fact, strangling that child. Now, rule number one for teachers, as a general rule, you don't touch the kids. I never, ever want to put my hands on a kid. Great way to get sued to begin with. Secondly, I don't want to hurt a child. Now, if Darren is strangling a kid, do I say, well, Darren, stop it, and hope he will, and he probably won't, or do I use physical force to get him to stop? Either answer is wrong. 
And there is therein lies the problem. If the kid's just throwing a fit and you know screaming and crying and things like that, we don't need to use any physical force. But when the child is hurting somebody, physical force may very well be necessary. And I would like to see somebody work out legislation that allows it to be used correctly. And that, of course, is the idea of learning restraint techniques. There are ways of doing it without injuring or at least with only minimal injury to the child. That would be what I would like to see us do. Well, I think the, your situation that you're, you're bringing up is an extreme situation. But they Not exist, many, and that's the point. They, I, and, and in that situation, something where you are removing the child from the situation is the appropriate action, though. He's harming, they're harming another student, which is wrong. So yeah. I'm, I'm not saying you get behind the child, put them in a rear naked chokehold, choke them out until they stop. No, I'm saying as an adult, you are larger than them. You can r- physically remove them and direct them in a different area. But a lot of the, the reports of these, these isolation rooms and these restraining situations are not that, of, are not kid-threatening or, or committing violence against another child. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a teacher perceiving a situation to where it could happen, but more than likely it's they don't want to deal with the child who's being belligerent. Right. Which is the problem, is if there's a child who doesn't want to do something and throws a fit about it, you don't throw them into an isolation room. You find another way to uh, to appease the child or in some way find a middle ground with them. And, th- and that's the problem is that, and you said it best, you as a teacher would be so concerned over being sued, over mishandling a child, yes. when more than likely these belligerent children... They're behaving this way because they see it behave that way, mm-hmm. which, again, goes back to the adults in the situation. Yes. So you're not going to fix the problem of this child being belligerent by throwing them into the isolation room. It's a short-term solution for a long-term problem. Yes. It starts with you then behaving the proper way to help curve the behavior, which, as a teacher, yes, you are limited, but there are still effective tools you can do. Um, for example, my, my young nephew has attention issues and, and, you know, because one, he's a very intelligent kid. Two, he has, you know, a brain that works, you know, a million miles a second. Mm-hmm. So trying to keep them engaged in an overall classroom setting that is 30 kids face forward at a board, right. that doesn't help. We've had this discussion on previous podcasts of Mm -hmm. how we reform the education system to fit children individually. Um, So when you're dealing with these types of situations outside of the extremely violent ones where you should use force, and not not like injury force, but some sort of of way to remove the child from the situation, it's... You shouldn't be using that as a default because I was reading the article, you know, just as you were talking again, Uh and it's discussing a young child of how he's had it, the experience so often that he did, he cried out to his grandmother that I'm restraining you as, as, as his brother were playing. So Mm -hmm. 
it's it's one of those things. Now the child has been conditioned to it, and now you going forward when you use it isn't going to work because right. now all of a sudden that's the default position. So yeah. what has this child been doing the whole time that he's been thrown into isolation or into restraints? Mm-hmm. Is it is is it he's behaving outwardly? Okay, but how is he being violent toward other children? No. Okay. Well, then why are you going for the extreme, you know, solution in this case? Right. Right. The reason that, and here's part of the reality of teaching today, teaching, okay, it's been three years, teaching three years ago. Maybe they have changed everything by now and I missed it, but I don't think so. And here's the reality. You've got, I've got 30 kids in the room and I have one who refuses to let me teach. I had essentially two rules in my room. Number one, be safe at all times. And number two, allow the teacher to teach and other students to learn. If a kid doesn't want to learn, I can't make them. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to do all sorts of things to take care of that. But here I am teaching my class. I've got 30 kids. And, you know, I had one got back in Maine, a, a girl we'll call Connie. That was not her real name. No shit. She got up on her desk. She stood up on not just on the chair, but she had great balancing act. She got on the front portion of the desk and started singing at the top of her lungs about staker, bakers, and turkey basters or something like that. No matter, you know, because one of the strategies is just ignore them and move on. Well, she finally made that impossible. Now, I have two choices. One, I can try in vain to continue my class with this absurd disruption. Or two, I can have her removed from the class so that I can teach these other 29 kids. Now, what would you say is the best move? Well, you're absolutely correct. If they're being a complete disruption, you can removing them from the room is a perfect way to do that. Okay, so you send them into the hallway, you send them up to the forward office of an administrator to where, you know, they're not disrupting... 30 children other right. other lives yes so but then then it's like okay so they're being disruptive in the office which i can understand is a problem for an administrator but then do you throw them into the isolation chamber do you restrain them now i, I don't think that's the, yeah I, I don't think that's the solution i think the solution is okay so we have done everything within our capability outside of extreme situation use tool usage to right. solve this problem. Right. Why don't you call a parent or relative to have them removed from the school for the day? And we can do that from time to time. Um, you know, but, that, but you see what you've done there, again, that's a short-term solution. Connie needed much more than there was any way I could possibly provide. I have 29, 30 individuals that all need specific attention. They all need specific services. They all need a different kind of help. And Connie insists that she be the only one that gets anything from anyone. Um, And so, yes, I can solve the problem in, in the short term, get her out of my way, and let me teach the rest of my kids. But I haven't done anything to solve Connie's problem. And I, but, but I'm not capable that, of doing it myself. That's not your responsibility, though. But, I don't think well, that would be your responsibility to do. No, know? and it's one of the reasons that I have always been a big advocate of, you know, in Maine when I taught there, I believe our 
uh, our, um, what were we? So, yeah, we were sixth through eighth school, middle school. And we had one counselor for three grades worth of kids. We needed about five. Um, because those are the people that really can make a difference for Connie and Darren and people like that. Um, they need, what they need is not where do you put a period. What they need is huge doses of emotional uh, social assistance. And that's not my field of expertise. I can tell you where to put a period. I can show you how to use a comma. I'm not a social worker. And certainly I can connect on a personal level from time to time with a child and, you know, let them know that I care and all of that sort of thing. But I can't solve all of their problems. And your point is correct, too. Most of those problems come from home. Um, Darren's parents never showed any uh, restraint to the kid. Whatever he wanted, he got. Uh, it, it reminds me of, God, 30 years ago. Um, I lived with a, with a woman who had a four-year-old kid. And it drove me crazy to watch what, what, what she would do. The kid would ask, for example, for a popsicle. And no, no, you can't have a popsicle. And then he would whine, no, you don't get the popsicle. Now he starts throwing a fit. Oh, fine, you can have the popsicle. Are you insane? What did the boy just learn? He learned, if I throw a fit, I get what I want. Therefore, in order to get what I want, I must throw a fit. Really bad parenting. And this and is... I, I would... If for me, I would give an example of things I did with my niece and nephew when I live with them. So let's say, for example, one of them wanted something. So I would then produce a situation to where they would be rewarded for behavior and mm -hmm. get that. And yes. my brother and my sister-in-law would do the same thing. So like, for example, my nephew wanted something that I had and he's like, can I have some? I'm like, well, if you do this for me, I will gladly share some with you. Bam. Now all of a sudden you're, you're doing... You're, you're teaching and rewarding. Yes. You're doing it proper Pavlovian style yes. of yes. conditioning. Although you're going to children. piss off a lot of people comparing children to dogs, just so you know. And well, to uh, all of my more the, sensitive listeners, he really didn't mean that, okay? But, the the average intelligence of an adult dog is that of a five- or six-year-old human child. So it's roughly the same. Okay. <laughs> which, which is interesting, and I would love, at some point, uh, find the link and let's put it when we when we post this. Find the link to back that fact, uh, okay, because I, people I are going to disagree with it. And I want to be able before they start yelling at us here. This and you know not Breitbart, right? Find a legitimate link um, to back that fact so that our so that our listeners don't get pissed off. Because I will definitely do that. If you good. want to yell and scream at me for being wrong, you can email us at front porch podcast one at gmail.com when we come back after a quick break we're going to be discussing the now raised uh prohibition limits on smoking in the united yes. states you're no longer going to be able to buy any tobacco products unless you are 21 uh, uh the age of 21 or older thanks to the new budget signed by president orange himself and we'll, we'll be come discussing back that yeah we'll be discussing that in just a few minutes so come on back to the front porch So please. 
A fanatic of a man. I draw myself to the bed today. What goes up must come down. What goes up must come down, 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 down. I draw myself to the edge. What goes up must come down. Here on the Front Porch Podcast live podcast recording here on twitch.tv slash worldwide underscore wimpy. Fred, we've had some live responses to our discussion about uh, child punishment in schools or restraining in schools as we, we want to say it. Because they're definitely not using it as punishment at all. Okay. Uh, this is from, from our loyal listener Zarif. Uh, he says... Uh, my school sounds like the complete exception as he says he works at a, like a level five separation day school. So that's where your more uh, uh, extreme end of, of children are at. You know, the ones that are more disabled, maybe more attuned to, to doing things disruptively. And the only time they use restraining is when they're con- uh, continuously being aggressive, uh, being self-harmful or highly... Uh, uh, being very focal toward them in their disruption. 
Um, and he was saying, you know, with the, the disruption like you were giving it where there was a choking, they, or, or where you were saying a, a child stood up and started singing, they said, with the disruption, the disruption like that, we may take everyone else to another room rather than attempting to move the one kid causing the disruption. They refused to go for a walk with staff or whatever to try and avoid the power struggle of the kid just wants to do what they want to do. There's nothing you can do about it, so what do you do? So... Uh, and he says, uh, I responded with that, but in his school, they have the room to do that. In any public school, there's usually not a spare room for you to use. So, so I, that's a great idea. That's a great tool to use when you're able to have it. Just unfortunately, a lot of places, that's not available to them. So, you know, I could see why having a separation room, an isolation room would be a plausible, reasonable thing to have. I just don't think it functions in the way that you optimistically hope it functions. So I don't think it's a, a thing that's necessary so much. Well, like, like, like any other tool, it can be abused. And, you know, a car is a wonderful thing until I, you know, use it to crash into a crowd of protesters, then it's not such a wonderful thing. Uh, and, yeah, I, it, it is a good tool, but I think all tools need to be used responsibly, and that comes down really to uh, the character of the teacher, the character of the administration. Um, I would like them to have every possible tool available. I want them to know how to restrain a child safely. I want them to have a room where they can either take the rest of the class and leave the kid here or have a room where we can separate the child. Um, I'd like them to have all of those tools, but more importantly, I would like them to use them intelligently and responsibly. Uh, so now you said you want, and thank you, by the way, Zarif, we appreciate your, your comments. And if I mispronounced your name, I apologize. So speaking um, of you, administrations, taking away things from children. Yes. <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. If you weren't paying attention to the latest budgetary proposal slash signing slash approval bill under the federal government, uh, you may have missed in the fine print that soon, very soon in this country, the United States specifically, that you will no longer be able to buy any sort of tobacco product, paraphernalia, anything like the sort, unless you are of the age of 21 or older. Now, I have a big issue with this. Fred, I don't smoke. I know that. I rarely I drink. And interestingly, I don't have an issue with it, which is really interesting. I, we're on exactly the opposite sides you would so, expect either of us to be on. So tell me your problem with it. I, I hate being this person to make this argument because I think mm -hmm. it's a dumb argument, but I think it works in this specific case. You are willing to send an 18-year-old out into the world to get shot at, to die for their country, for yes. your beliefs, but you're unwilling to allow them to smoke or drink to cope with the fact that they're highly likely to die based upon yes. their profession. Yes. And everyone has their whatever you want to call that in a tizzy over all of the people who have gotten sick from over-vaping and using mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not approved products for vaping because it's the people who have these smoking problems aren't using jewels. They're using third-handed 
crafted, whatever you want to call it, not designed properly tools. So they're getting too much and are essentially drowning in, a, in infections from vaping. Here's the problem. In the now nearly 10 years of vaping has been become popular, there's only been about around 600 cases of people being sick from over-vaping out of the hundreds of thousands to millions of people who do it. So, mm -hmm. essentially, in what is, we'll call it an average of 60 people getting sick from vaping every single year, that amount mm -hmm. end up being dead or more from mass shootings. So I don't see you making... Oh, yeah. 21 being the age of legal gun ownership. Technically, there is no age restrictions on owning guns in this country, federally. Which I always thought was strange, uh, but yes, okay. So now all of a sudden you're saying, okay, well, the things that harm you, or more than likely harm you, because you could argue alcohol harms other people because drunk idiots get out on the road and, and kill people. Yes. But smoking... And people and, die from alcohol poisoning, too. Uh, and, but smoking yeah, and vaping... Yeah which 99% of the time only harms you or kills yeah. you is yeah. not is so much more of a severe problem than mass shootings that we're going to raise the age but not put any age restrictions on guns not put any type of background checks federally on guns nothing like that and I, I hate to draw the equation to guns but that's what you have to do because guns are tools to hurt and kill other people or other life forms. C cigarettes aren't, their main purpose isn't that. So for you to put such high regulations and strict laws against things that hurt an individual versus things that are designed to hurt others just blows my mind. And I, I understand and I can be empathetic to the whole we don't want teenagers smoking portion. But the teenagers, mm -hmm. and we've discussed this again before on this podcast, where do, why do teenagers smoke, Fred? Because it makes them seem like they're older, right? That's the whole mm -hmm. philosophy behind it. Or it's a rebellious well, it's thing. it's at least a part too. of it, yeah. It, yes. it's, but it's, it's a rebellious least, right. thing. I, I want to be perceived as an adult. I'm 14. I'm in between being a child and an adult. But I want to be mm -hmm. perceived as an adult. So what do adults do? They drink. They smoke, smoke. They do all of these things, right? That's yes. That is the core philosophy of it. So, if... And this is a big if, I understand this. If parents do their jobs, I'm going to say this again. If parents do their job of being parents and help enforce the idea of responsibility, and this this is a big thing. I, I know plenty of people who didn't smoke when they were teenagers and just picked it up at 18 because they're like, I just want to smoke because I just want to right. smoke. But that's cool. Yes. But most... Yes. People start smoking when they're 13, 14, 15 years old because they want to be treated like adults. And I, I remember when I was 16 and I was still treated like a child. Hell, Fred, I'm 33 and there are times where I'm still treated like a child and it pisses me the fuck off. But that's a different yes. thing. <laughs> so it's... That's, that's a different episode. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, I, I, I don't think there is... I, I, the reason I don't have a problem with it is... Um, we also have, uh, you can make the exact same argument, right, that we're, we're sending you off to war to get shot and killed in the name of your country, but you can't have a drink first either. Um, and 
if you want to do this, I have no problem if you want to say, hey, you got to be 21 before you can go get shot in the name of your country. That would work for me. Um, nobody but nobody but nobody is going to make the claim, yes, but smoking and drinking are good for you. I do both. I rarely drink, but I smoke plenty, and I'll be the first to tell you, no, no, it's bad for me. Um, the flip side of it is, though, I don't know whether making it illegal for someone under 21 to smoke is going to have much effect on whether they do or not. Um, obviously, I would prefer that no one ever smoked. I would prefer that no one ever drank and that we were all perfect saints all the time. But that's not the world in which we live. Um, and quite frankly, I don't want to give up smoking. I like it. But it's bad for you. Yes, I know. But I like it. And that's why I do it. Um, I, I, what I would really prefer to see is changing the advertising that cigarettes do. Uh, you know, what stop about alcohol? aiming at kids. Yeah. And I, I would like to stop aiming that at kids, too. Um, I, I, I guess there are certain rights that we grow in, in, into possessing. Um, I'm not excited about making it 21, and I think you make a good point. Every time we take away anyone's right to anything, we're just a little less free. And I don't like that. I don't want to see anyone having any of their freedoms taken away, unless there is, of course, some reason to do so. If you rob a bank, yes, you have now forfeited your freedom for some time, and we're going to put your ass in prison. But I don't really feel excited about, let's take away the freedom of someone to smoke. On the other hand, if they want to make a law that you got to be 21 to smoke, well, all right. Uh, I, I don't know how much good it'll do, but... I'm not going to lose any sleep about it, at least not right now. I, I think it was pushed forward by, and this is a, and for some reason, this is not a bipartisan issue. It, they both agree on this. It's, yeah. it's It's not a partisan issue. It is bipartisan. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's the Democrats and the Republicans. Who's in charge of the party now? Right. People between well, 45 and 60 years old, right? And. Sure. Those people have a significant issue, whether or not they realize it, with people who are younger than them. And this is always and will forever be an issue between human generations. And mm -hmm. I think it's a way to try to control younger people. Again, I, we were discussing this last week with generational differences. Yes. And it's, we, we can do this, but you can't. We have yes. the power, you don't. And to me, in a relationship with any child, and we'll, we'll circle this back to our previous discussion, if mm -hmm. you don't have any level of respect and give a little to the child in the relationship, whether they're 5, 15, 30, Let's say you're 90 years old and your child's 70. Right. If you don't have that mutual respect and understanding that both of you have power in the relationship, but it needs to be balanced, you're going to have a problem. And I think yes. that's the biggest problem is that... But I think that's true of any relationship, don't you? Whether it's parent exactly. and child or but I, you know, I think, lovers or employer and employee, the, 
there has to be some mutual respect. I think, but I think Otherwise the biggest abusers in that situation are parents to children because it's the parents that, for some reason, the average parent has to have this idea of they're 100% correct all the time, which isn't true because you are a human being, which means you yeah. are flawed, which means you can be wrong. And for you to be unable to recognize that and deal with it and come to terms with it and accept it and understand that, hey, I may be weak in this, in this type of circumstance, but my child is strong in this type of circumstance. I need to, to get to where they're at or find some middle ground with them in that. Or I'm strong in this and they're weak to it, so I need to... That, that's the parent responsibility of recognizing yes. strengths and weaknesses on your side, recognizing strengths and weaknesses on their side, and being able to find a common ground to where you can have a mutual relationship. And the problem is, is that for generations, because before the advent of modern medicine, so 150 years ago, people had to have 12 kids because six of them would die at childbirth and four of them would yes. die because of terrible illnesses. So yes. Yes. now it's you can have three children and devote separate time for each of them and recognize each of their strengths, each of their weaknesses, and curtail child-rearing individually. And I think that's mm -hmm. what's missing in the broad spectrum of society is the idea of outside of, you know, single ch child homes, which then it's only curtailed to the single child because then you don't have to deal with other personalities. But as soon as people get overwhelmed with having two or three kids and they're all different personalities because, you know, stupid idiots think raising a child is easy. I could just pay for everything and be done with it. No, it's yes. that's not what's right in that situation i think once that's once that's broached and fixed you would see the elimination of age restrictions on products because then all of a sudden parents are doing their job in helping rear the child to make conscious decisions and, and i'm not even asking for responsible decisions conscious decisions that are made for them and versus i want to be perceived as an adult so I'm going to smoke and drink. Now it's, I want to be perceived as an adult. So now my relationship is changing with my parents to where they're treating me like an adult more and more. Not so much giving them mm -hmm. responsibilities, but, but being able to hold a conversation to where each side is not right or wrong, but each side has points to make. Let me ask this, to take it back to the age of smoking. Um, because obviously, right, a good parent would set an example that suggests, hey, you know, smoking may not be your best bet. But is there an increased medical risk for, let's say, a six-year-old having a cigarette as opposed to me having a cigarette? I mean, his body is much smaller. His lungs probably aren't as well developed. And I don't know this. It's, it's an actual honest question. Is a child at greater risk from smoking than I am? But I, I would... Do we know that? I, I don't think that's... And no offense to your point. I don't think that's important to why children smoke. Again, I think the issue is... No, but I'm saying if we're raising the age to 21, and you could show me medical evidence that says... Well, I mean, um, any, any type of smoking is not going to be healthy for you, whether you're 6, 30, 66, yes. it doesn't matter. Right, um, I know that. My point is, is that 
the reason why people who are 13, 14 years old smoke is one, because their parents smoked. Two, yeah. they probably have an older sibling that smokes. Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good likelihood. Mm-hmm. Or they mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. the oldest sibling and they want to be... And this, this is a, another big problem in America. A lot of the parenting gets dumped on for younger children or, or, or later born children to the firstborn, right? Yes. That's a huge issue. Yes. I, uh, but that's not a new thing. That's been going on since we had kids. But that, that's, and, that's lazy parenting. Yeah. You, you shouldn't expect a 13-year-old to be able to discipline a 7-year-old. That shouldn't happen. On the other, I agree with that. On the other hand, I would also submit that particularly earlier in our history, that was really the only way to do it. I, it, it it's hard to imagine today, but there was a time in our history where you had to work Everybody in your family had to work pretty much all the time just to survive. And I don't mean going out and, and you know, working at Circle K. I mean cutting down the trees and, 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 pour, and porting the water and, you know, raising the cattle and milking the cows and whatever else you had to do. They had to work all the time. And so mom and dad are busy pretty much 24-7 and, you know, I've got the 10-year-old, and now I have the infant. And again, you made the point about why we had so many children. So many of them die. And look, you're 10. Can you feed the baby, please? And things like that. Everybody had to contribute. But that's not what so, I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about yeah. the older child being responsible. And this is this is more of a modern issue since... Mm-hmm. And please, I'm going to look directly into the camera for this one. Please do not take anything more than what I am going to say as face value. I do not mean anything more than what I am stating. More and more responsibility for raising children has fallen onto children because of the undomestication of society. Which is a good thing that women are out in the workforce doing and working and contributing. But... A lot of that has caused issues where if you have multiple children in your household, it's, okay, when you get home, make sure this gets done for little Susie. She gets this, mm-hmm. she gets this, she gets all of that. that. That's a parenting responsibility that should not fall onto the eldest child. Now, there are benefits to allowing older children to do that. They're usually more, and this has been proven in studies that I've read. I will get you the link if you want it, but I have read studies on this where yes. the older child in adulthood is more responsible because in the yes, end they, they exactly get dumped half the parenting yeah. responsibilities versus well, you- but they learn responsibility in more quickly because they have to uh, you know I, I if for example right mom and dad are both at work and the 13 year old comes home and the 7 year old comes home i really need that 13 year old to keep the 7 year old from burning the house down and I don't see a problem I, with that. And, I, and you know, but but hold on. You're now, and this as someone who has a six-year gap between my older brother and someone who has mm-hmm. a two-year gap between my younger brother. I could tell you from experience, Fred, because I, I'm you have siblings, and you know they, yes. there's probably an age gap there. But as a of middle course. child. I could tell you that being or having uh, such a large age gap between my older brother and myself, and when he was born, my mother was a single parent. 
And mm-hmm. my dad, until I was six years old, was in the Navy, was in the service. And everything that was going on with, with that and, and my mom trying to do work and doing other things, a lot of the responsibility for my older brother was to parent. And this is weird to say, but I see my older brother more as a father than I see my dad. Simply because okay. he was the one that was given the responsibility to enforce morality, behavior, all of that stuff onto me right. as a parent than what my dad was. Because my dad just mm-hmm. took up the responsibility of being the the provider and then being the punisher. That's, that's all he ever did when I was a kid. That's all he does now. So, for me, that's cause it causes a weird dynamic between my older brother and myself to where he he treats me like an offspring versus he treats me like a brother and that's not his fault that's not my fault that's the parents fault in that situation and right i'm not saying it's right or wrong but that's that's the way it is and that's that's different than the relationship i have with my little brother to where you know, because I had an older brother to teach me, I tried to do it that way when I was a kid. It didn't work. There were lots of times when my little brother and I were at each other's throats. Now, as an adult, I recognize that that was not the appropriate relationship for us to have. So now, being able to recognize it, I've changed what that dynamic is. So, it's 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 weird and different and. I understand every side of it that people nowadays, especially if you're not wealthy, they need, everyone needs to work if you're an adult to provide. I Mm -hmm. get that. I understand it. I don't blame anyone for that situation. But in knowing this, and everyone who has a rational thought in their head can recognize it and knows it, when you go into having children and you decide, well, I'm providing wealth and security for my family. I don't have time to deal with the actual rearing of the child. I'm going to dump it off onto somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. And it gets dumped so on to teachers. It gets dumped on to, to siblings. Yeah, let's take it. <laughs> so take it back to the actual topic. Um, okay. So parents are often not really fulfilling all of their responsibilities. Take that back to the idea that one must be 21 instead of 18 to smoke, which was our topic. Explain the connection between those things. Well, again, the, the connection is is that the, the primary reason for teenagers wanting to smoke is because they want to change their the perception of them being children into adults. And so... Okay. They decide to smoke and drink so that way they can help curve the perception of that because adults are able to drink, adults are able to smoke. So when you raise the age restriction on those, what you're doing is causing more of a demand or more of a need to want to do it because adults are only allowed to do it. So So would you advocate dropping... Age restrictions on everything, 
no no age restrictions on drinking, no age restrictions on smoking, and probably best of all, no age restrictions on voting. Would you I, advocate I, that? I think I think dropping everything to that to fourteen years old. Uh, and this is not me saying this that fourteen year olds should smoke, but I'm saying if you do it that way, you're going to curve a lot of the reasons why teenagers want to do it. So now, but aren't you just aren't you just dropping the age of adulthood then from eighteen to fourteen? If and so now I'm eleven and I want to be an adult, and those fourteen year olds are smoking, I will too. But here's the thing: is if we're going to be arguing the semantics of generational gap and older children raising younger children. You give responsibilities that are adult responsibilities to seven, eight-year-olds, right? They don't understand to that a certain extent. Yeah, they don't understand their adult, you know, responsibilities. But I've, outside of a few extremes, you don't ever really see an eleven-year-old say, "I want to start smoking." It's they still have a child oh, brain. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I no, I had a lot of eleven-year-olds, and I can't tell you how many cigarettes I had to take away from them. Which was one of the reasons I was fanatical about never letting my students know that I smoked, because that's a shitty example to set, and I'd, I'm not going to do it. So, and, know, and I would sneak and, out you know, and know if, if it's got to be set to that, I, I, I guess you can do it that way. But why did the 11 year old want to smoke? Well, there's a more interesting question. And again, I, I think part of it is that we always have, there is sort of a twilight between today I'm a child. This day I'm an adult. And there is that space in between where you are neither a child nor an adult. Um, and one of the great sociological problems is how do we help children go from being, you know, a child who, you know, believes in Santa today, but now I'm 14. No, I don't believe in Santa anymore. On the other hand, I'm not really emotionally equipped or intellectually equipped, or or uh, necessarily even physiologically equipped to deal with the adult world yet. So I'm stuck in between, and then I get lost. I become uh, I, I become confused, and I start doing experimenting with things. Well, if I smoke, does that make me more adult? If I drink, does that make me more adult? And I don't know how we get them through that gap, but I think that that's certainly a question that needs to be addressed, and I'm sure it has been. Um, if any of our listeners have thoughts, what do we do to help children get from children to adulthood without screwing things up? Um, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that, because I think it's an actually very difficult and interesting issue. Also, listeners, should we, ra should we have raised the the smoking age to 21? Or should we drop all age limits at all? Should we let six-year-olds vote and drink and smoke? Some place in between those things probably lies the truth. Um, anyway, um, I think we have done pretty uh, pretty well to cover those issues today. Um, Wimpy, where can they get hold of us to give us their opinions about these things? Oh, and before we forget, were there any other 
uh, participant uh, comments while we were discussing. Uh, outside of Zarif speaking about uh, the, the schooling topic, because we've been having our own little discussion in, in chat, which is why we're on Twitch. We like getting the live reaction. Uh, in talking about the parent rearing that I was giving example to, he, sa- he says, yeah. and a quote, that sounds like the Donald Trump parenting method. Let the mother raise the kids to adulthood. And yes, that's the way it was done in what was modern society for 200 years after the Industrial Revolution. And that's where our school systems are built around, the idea of getting people trained enough to operate the machine but not understand how it works. That's, yeah, that's but you know, you, you had even said before that, uh, you know, there is something great about women being able to contribute as part of the workforce. And I understand what you mean by that. On the other hand, let's be really, really clear. Being a mother is a massive contribution, perhaps. Yes. Or, you know, or if you're a stay-at-home father. But raising children is a vitally important contribution. Absolutely. And I never want to downplay that. And, yeah. and I think I think the best way to put it is, is that if you have a full-time job and kids, guess what? You have three full-time jobs. You have your one full-time yes. job that pays you, and then you have two with children because it's a 24-hour process. Even yes. when you're at work, yes. raising your child still happens while you're at work. So... Whether or yes. not you are around to do that is up to you. That's uh, maybe <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> that's uh, you know that that's just kind of my position. Uh, you can get in contact with us on Facebook. Our Front Porch Podcast fan page is probably the best and easiest way to get in contact with us. We'll see the not- notifications pop up. Twitter's is is your next best option. Podcast Front. We're on Gmail. Front Porch Podcast One at gmail.com. We're on Patreon. If you really like the show and want to support us, I could really new, use a new processor on my computer, so that would be great. <laughs> so that would be great. So we'll take all the support we can get. Christmas is coming, mm-hmm. and hey, be giving. We will be grateful. And we're going to be doing this every Tuesday and Friday. Yesterday, Fred had a previous engagement. He said he wanted to do a little bit earlier, but I want to be able to have people in our chat. So the time yeah. that we could do it yesterday wasn't really, you know workable so we did it today but tuesdays and fridays 5 p.m central standard time so that's six on the east four on the west or three on the west three four three on the west three on the west yes sorry again well it's 405 here in arizona right now what time is it there uh it's five o'clock fred if you could see the the bags underneath my eyes from stress and not sleeping well i understand (laughs) yes i could get real close to the cameras and you could see how dark my eyes are I'll take you <laughs> for whatever reason. Time and time zones have escaped my brain. <laughs> I got you. So anyway, yeah, it, you're an hour ahead of me. That's what we needed to know, or at least we will be until we spring forward. But that isn't. Oh, uh, we're ending. Yet, we're so. ending that in Illinois. We're going to stay on daylight savings. Oh, time. really? Yeah, we're just going to stay on daylight savings because Arizona, time. Arizona got rid of it a long time ago. Well, that's because and, you were an in between uh, state. Il- uh, sh- Illinois and Chicago were re- we we were kind of right on the border once they moved it because mm-hmm. Indiana was a split state and then they just went full yeah. Eastern time outside of East Chicago, which is you know right across the border from Chicago. You know all of mm-hmm. their business dealings are within Illinois, but they're just in Indiana, so that portion of the state stayed central. So, but we're going to stay on daylight savings time. I think starting next year, so we, we're not going to be switching clocks anymore because you know. It, it was okay. only a premise that worked when, you know, lantern oil was still your primary source of light. 
Yes. So, so you know, the 1950s. Yeah, so after, after the 1950s, you could have probably stopped Daylight Savings Time, but that's another story for a different day. That's another story, and we'd <laughs> love to hear your thoughts about Daylight Saving Time, listener. Uh, daylight Savings Time, listeners. But for now... Um, I'm, I'm really glad that you stopped by the front porch and, uh, please leave us comments. Um, we hope to hear from you again, but until then, just remember, there's always somebody on the front porch. Have a thought or a conversation starter? Email us at frontporchpodcast1 at gmail.com or tweet us at podcastfront.